Hi there. My name is Mireya Perez, and I aspire to create a platform where language service providers can tell their stories and where listeners can find inspiration and creativity. This podcast is dedicated to you, the language professional that desires to listen to the journeys of others in order to create their own path and personal branding. Here, I'll feature an array of guests from all fields of interpretation, as well as translation, willing to share their stories with you. Join me as we embark on professional and personal development by telling our stories. This is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is your host, Mireya Perez, and I hope you're joining me today in good health and good spirits. This is the last interview episode of the year, and while we'll be giving 2020 the boot, I hope this episode leaves you with inspiration and positivity to begin the new year with a renewed sense of energy for whatever you've been planning to do. Know that you've got a cheerleader in me. Today's episode brings us Giovanna Carriero Contreras. Giovanna Carriero Contreras has over 25 years of verified industry expertise in interpreting, translation, and training services. She is CEO and co-founder of Chesco Linguistic Services, the language service provider exclusively endorsed by the Colorado Hospital Association. Before co-founding Chesco, she held positions in Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and the United States. A graduate from the School of Translation and Interpretation in Geneva, Switzerland, she speaks English, Italian, French, and Spanish fluently and is very knowledgeable of cultural gaps. She is co-author of The Community Interpreter, an international textbook and workbook, an interpreting training program of 40-plus hours for community interpreters, and is a co-author of the recently published international edition of the Medical Interpreter Textbook. As a strong proponent of professional development for interpreters and the advancement of the profession, Giovanna is also very active in the interpreting community and is involved in developing professional standards for the interpreting industry on the national level through ASTM International and on the international level through the International Organization for Standardization, ISO. A strong language advocate, Giovanna has expert understanding of Title VI and Executive Order 13166 requirements in that regard. In March 2014, Giovanna Carrero Contreras was sworn in as the Honorary Consul of Italy and has provided since services to the Italian community and the community at large in her new consular capacity and as a member of the Colorado Consular Corps. And most recently, Giovanna was named the 2020 Bill Daniels Ethical Leader of the Year. The award recognizes local leaders that demonstrate remarkable integrity and ethics in business. Congratulations, Giovanna. Giovanna is happily married with Joel Contreras and is mother to their biological sons Francesco and Lorenzo. Giovanna and Joel are also parents to Zawadi, Grace, and Rachel, three sisters that joined their family in 2011 from Congo. At home, Giovanna and her family speak four languages on a regular basis. So, without further ado, and to end this year strong, here's Giovanna Carriero Contreras. Giovanna, I want to take the opportunity to thank you, first and foremost. I want you to know that it is such an honor and such a privilege to be able to have you on the show. And so thank you so much for making the time uh, to come on board and be able to speak with us and to share your story with us. Mireya, the honor is mine, and thank you for inviting me to the show. Uh, it's uh, a delight. Thank you. Thank you. Ivana, why don't we go ahead then and begin with telling your story? This is Giovanna Carriero Contreras, and this is my story. 
Giovanna was born in Italy many moons ago. I come from the southern of Italy. I come from a city by Naples called Ercolanium. What I remember from my childhood is, although I lost my father very early, I was in my early teens, but I remember a loving family, um, a lot of challenges that were overcome with a lot of uh, love, a good um, amount of discipline. <laughs> you know what teenagers are, right? Uh, and I was one as well. And um, lots of friends around. And uh, that was, uh, I think, the environment that was really the basis for my values and how I look at friendship, how I look at family. And um, these are actually, I think, part of my main beliefs. Um, I um, grew up thinking that I wanted to be a hostess, actually a flight attendant. In Italian, it's hostess. In English, it has a different meaning. But guess what? I was not tall enough. And so forget about it. I do remember that I was at home and the person that was managing the, at the time it was a sort of a vocational program to get trained to be a flight attendant. And they said, um, you are two centimeters too short. Sorry. I said, I can wear heel. Uh, you know, good pair of shoes with heels didn't 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 make it. Didn't make There's it. So a height requirement uh, at the time. You remember it was many months ago where the flight attendant has these iconic um, stereotype of tall and slim, mm. and it didn't matter how much you had in your brain, but if you were tall or slim and slim, they would not look at your brain. So heels would not make it. And um, I find myself, okay, fine, let's move on to something else. So the passion for the languages grew in me. And don't ask me how, uh, from where, uh, nobody in my family had any either inclination or knowledge of uh, a proficient uh, level of a second, second language. Um, so all of a sudden, um, left the flight attendant behind, I wanted to be a, 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 an interpreter at the parliament. Uh, fast forward, I finished college and I went on to the interpreting and translation school in Geneva. When I completed my uh, training in, uh, as a translator, but to most of everybody's um, maybe surprise, I did not do interpreting in uh, Geneva. My interpreting career started when I traveled to the United States. Okay, I see. Do you have a specific memory that's triggered when you think about how your interpreting journey began? Oh, yeah. There was a medical interpreting in a hospital. And uh, like most of us working in community interpreting, I felt run under the bus. Why? Despite all my education in languages, I found myself in a situation where I was interpreting for a woman that was pregnant. She was at her in her seventh month, but I was there to interpret because she had an ovarian cancer. And emotionally, I was completely unprepared. I felt like, oh my God, who has interpreted for this woman so far? Because someone asked the question and say, um, what, what was said at your uh, last gynecologist visit? And something came out where the woman said, yes, my daughter interpreted for me. And such and such did not say that. And all of a sudden, I turned my head because the daughter is eight years old. And you know, when you are confronted with Oh my God, what's happening here? I mean, this is not about language. This is about everything else around. And, uh, and so an entire world opened in front of my eyes, a world of unknowns. I did not know. I did not know what was going on. And I felt inadequate. I felt unprepared. I felt like... Um, my instinct, my gut feeling was, don't lose it. You cannot lose it. Mind you, I did not know what I know today. 
I did not know what I learned exactly 10 years ago. We are 2020. And when I had that interpreting was over 12, 13 years ago. And, um, you know, when you leave the room and you feel like there is more to just the saying what they say. Um, but what is it? I was fortunate enough when I landed in Colorado to, and I arrived in Colorado in 1998. It was my first U.S. landing. I was actually supposed to be in the States for about six months for an internship as a translator. Uh, the six months became a commitment of two years. The two years became accepting a full-time position for much longer than that, left that job, got married. However, that translator position opened my door to the community of interpreters that were being the foundation of the Colorado Association of Professional Interpreters. And uh, I felt like that was really my first mentorship opportunity because think about it. I spoke Italian and French. I didn't speak Spanish at the time. I was basically took in by one friend that is um, one of the best in conference interpreters I know today. And uh, she introduced me to the interpreting community, which was my dream. But I found myself in legal interpreting. And uh, soon, what I did not know was called community interpreting at the time. And I was attending Spanish interpreting trainings. I learned Spanish because it was my only way to tune up on my skills through the lenses of a language that I was learning. So I learned Spanish for two main reasons. Number one, I love dancing salsa <laughs> and I needed an interpreter when a guy was asking me out. <laughs> and I found that to be pretty funny and awkward, right? So I needed to learn Spanish to respond directly. But the other side, learning Spanish opened for me the ability to participate in a lot of training and in a lot of educational opportunities as an interpreter that I would have never been able to be exposed to. Today, you find many more neutral language trainings, but at the time, all those that I knew were all speaking Spanish and that helped tremendously. And so I found myself a lot of times thinking, I did not go to the interpreting program in Geneva that was confidence interpreting. And confidence interpreting in Europe is very different mm. from whatever else I learned here. And I never regretted one day. Yelena, you mentioned the community interpreting that a lot of people perhaps are unfamiliar with what this term means and um, how this positions itself in the interpreting community. Could you give us a little, a little bit about what community interpreting entails? So the academic book wise response to that, <laughs> community interpreting is that type of interpreting that facilitates access to community services between two or more people that don't share the same language. What it means for Giovanna? It's a very funny to notice that community interpreting does not mean community of interpreters mm -hmm. or interpreting for the community. Um, these uh, play with prepositions um, can cause a lot of uh, confusion. But to me, community interpreting refers to the work of the interpreters that work with real life people that have a need for a service. I am a parent. I don't speak English or fluent enough English to speak with the teacher. And I need to know what's going on with my child. I need to have a medical checkup. Think of this lady that is seven months pregnant, but she's now diagnosed with cancer and she has to make a choice. Families and children, they need to overcome situations financial situations and they go to human resources. I mean, to me, 
we interpreters get an insight into people's private and daily life scenarios that maybe we would have not even think of coming across, not even remotely. And uh, why do I appreciate, especially now during COVID, the work that we interpreters do is because differently from any other type of interpreting, and I namely refer to legal interpreting and um, confidence interpreting, we get to deal with people's fears. Mind you, it's not all crying all the time, right? It's, it's nice to say your baby was born and it's a girl, or, oh my God, you were awarded that service and so you now can go to that program. Oh, your kid made it. He's now finally um, uh, receiving these services. He has overcome these hurdles. This is the, the great aspect. But when, when things go well, we all laugh and smile. But when things don't go well, uh, interpreters uh, working in community interpreting are in it with the people that they interpret for. And we have to struggle to keep that distance that would allow us to still be the faithful voice of what they say. You see, if you look at, at other types of interpreting, such as um, legal interpreting, in legal interpreting, we get trained to be more, I don't like to, to say the word because um, it doesn't reflect very well, but a little bit cold, you know? Um, we know of lawyers that are empathetic. Obviously, judges, they are empathetic, but at the end of the day, we serve the law. Even as legal interpreters, we serve the law mm. and in the legal scenarios there is always someone that is right and someone that is wrong and i'm not saying whether that's right or wrong mm -hmm. i'm saying that someone will be on that side of the fence or the other there is a victim and a perpetrator there and i'm not talking about maljustice either i'm just saying the fence divides mm. in community interpreters we all want people to access services. We cannot control the outcomes. We cannot control whether the surgery is going to be successful or not. We cannot control whether or not that service is going to be successful for that particular person. But the fact is that in community interpreting, we all work with a team that is offering a way to overcome challenges. Even the confidence interpreters, when they interpret in the booth, they are separated from everything else. Some conference interpreters will make the point of saying, but we interact with our clients. And true, but when you do your job, you are in a booth and you interpret what is said. And um, the burden and the stress and the influence, the impact that comes from uh, the daily interactions with real people's problems is what um, drags us down. Yeah. And so... Part of what you do with your company now is bringing training to people that are wanting to get into community interpreting, correct? Bilingual staff from different organizations wanting to get into community interpreting. So talk to us now, first and foremost, as to why even though like you just clarified for all of us that it's not a community of interpreters, it's not people in the community wanting to interpret, that there is still a need for training in this particular area. And what your company is all about. Let's go ahead and get into that. So Chesco Linguistic Services was born in 2004. And um Something that not many know, I had no clue that number one, I could found a company. Number two, that I could lead a company. Number three, that I had any entrepreneurial ounce of spirit in me to do that. It was my husband's idea. And when he brought it up to me, I was like, you are crazy. I love these stories because there's always something good that comes out of the your crazy moments. Giovanna, does the name Chesco mean anything or is there any significance behind it? Chesco is uh, my son's firstborn name. Oh. Um, so Chesco comes from the Italian Francesco. Ah, now I know. <laughs> um, I did not choose the name. 
my husband chose the name. And I was actually not in favor. I was not in favor to have my son's name being so personal to me become the name of a company. Right. But you know what is the final effect, Mireya? Is that anything that happens to Chesco is personal. And that is why I uphold my ethics and my reputation to the highest standards possible. Not that I don't make mistakes, but my ethics cannot be questioned because it's personal to me. It's my mm -hmm. son's name. So Chesco really was born in the midst of the community. We started in worker compensation and then we diversified and now serve a lot of uh, players that provide services to communities. What's the mission of Chesco? You know, talking about the, the, the company itself also diminishes because when I train, I don't look at the flag. I actually don't care what company you work with. What I care is that there is only one flag that you need to uphold, and that's the profession. Because in our profession, there should not be things like, I think. There should be, first of all, what does the profession require of me? This is the only way we can provide ultimately consistent quality services. Because each one of us is legacy for the next interpreter. And the one that came before us builds a legacy for me coming after them. So if we do not come together as a profession, people will still define us. So one of the things that I always say in my trainings is, unless you want people to keep defining who you are, you need to define yourself to them. And uh, each one of us, generally speaking, because that's how human nature works, can say, I, 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 I. But professionally speaking, is we. Right. Because we should all witness to the same mission, which is ultimately the faithful delivery of the message of that person. This is what they say, however they said it, whenever they said it. And I don't have any right to edit any of what they say. Right. Now, where does the editing part come from? Sad to report, oftentimes is from lack of skills, lack mm -hmm. of training, lack of even knowing that that's what we're doing. So I went to school and I got trained for translation, but I had a much longer journey in interpreting. Even if I had attended my conference interpreting training in Geneva, I would have started training here again because it was not the same type of interpreting. Right, right. So to me, is um, there, are, there are three things that for me were very pivotal when uh, um, I funded uh, Chesco Linguistic Services. One, I realized pretty soon that there were three key points that I had to develop on. Get informed, get trained, and get involved. I already started getting trained even before Chesco when I said was introduced to the community of interpreters here in Colorado uh, with great mentors. Uh, I started a little bit of a getting informed, but I started looking out of my home boundaries by starting attending the conferences. One of the major changes in my life was the ATA conference in 2010 in New York. It sounded like a, oh my God, a, a, a hard mountain to climb because my second son was really, really young. So I was breastfeeding in the middle of uh, uh, sessions, but I made it, I made it. And that was a turning point for me because I met two of my biggest mentors that have really shaped my professional life. One was this brunette that I saw jumping up and down, left and right, in a panel session at the ATA in this huge conference room. And knowing for the first time how to navigate these rooms, I reached that room at, when it was already started. It was so full 
that I could barely find a chair at the very back. And I could see and hear this brunette from the very, very far of the room talking about community interpreting, community interpreting, community interpreting. And I was like, you know, when you talk about being inspired by someone and you say, that's it, that's it. She is just putting into words what I feel inside. Right. Then you move on from session to session. And I go to another session where this other person, blondish, is talking about skills, 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 and skills. And just to make a change, skills. And I'm like, wow, all right. And because the room was a little smaller, and uh, I think by the second or third day, I, I learned my way around. I was able to actually sneak towards the front. I think I became a little bit more, I don't know, braver. I don't know. I was able to talk to her. So I met Catherine Allen. Mm. Fast forward a little bit. I became director and then co-chair of the Colorado Association of Professional Interpreters. And we had a two-day skill building and I invited Catherine over. This is when I say, ladies and gentlemen, look outside your yard. There is a way to reach out. And now, you know, the conference was 2010. Ten years later, we have so much more access than what we had 10 years ago, right? Venture out. We are very accessible. Um, I invited Catherine to teach this skill building, and it was three days. So during three days, you get to talk a lot, and I do talk a lot. And I told Catherine, I said, look, Catherine, listen, I am looking for a way for my company to develop a training program. And I can, I keep thinking and thinking and thinking of this brunette jumping up and down, left and right, diagonally, vertically, horizontally, talking about community interpreting. And Catherine goes, oh, that's Marjorie Backcroft. I'm like, oh, was that easy? She said, <laughs> Yes, girl. Uh-huh. She is the one talking about community interpreting, jumping up and down, left and right, and you know the rest. I said, I need to get in touch with her. So within, I guess, a month, I called Marjorie. I, she talked to me about the community interpreter. I signed up and paid my way to t- get trained like everybody else does. Meanwhile, remember that I have already built a relationship with Catherine, right? By the end of the training, Marjorie did something really, really crazy. And that was she invited me to be part of the authorship of that edition. Mireya, I thought, what did this lady see in me? I'm sure she thought, oh my God, what did I just do? (laughs) Because Marjorie had known me for only five days in class. Wow. But you know what? The rest is history. When I tell people, open yourself to be mentored. Open yourself to mentor others. But that mentorship cannot be, I think. That mentorship has to rely on a solid foundation. And that foundation for us is training and education. Because we still go through the face of a profession that is uh, trying to professionalize itself. You're not going to find any unaccredited program to become a nurse, to become an MA. You're not going to, you know, um, find a, an unaccredited um, curriculum to become a lawyer or a, a, a doctor, right? But we do have programs that talk about interpreting some have more of this some have more of that there there is really no consistency even in the programs that are offered so what happened with me that i started even getting involved in bigger organizations talking about standards um helping assisting snowballing and by definition a snowball is when you have a um, cordial, sometimes not that much, differences of, of opinion. Just remember, and, and then you have to decide and brainstorm what is the uh, most appropriate answer for that, right? But this is uh, 
the thing. If you do not open yourself to learn, you will not grow in this profession. And if you do not open yourself to be humbled down, and I have, that's why I'm very grateful to my mentors. But I very carefully picked and choose the mentors. And that is also why maybe there is another side of me that is a little bit unflexible. I have very robust ideas of what things should be because that's the foundation. But there is so much that we're still discussing around the country to come to a consensus because we don't have a foundation for that. But we need to build on the foundation that we have. Giovanna, talk to us briefly about your participation with the Community Interpreter Textbook. You mentioned it earlier real quick, and I just wanted to get a sense of what that entailed. You are a co-author of this textbook, correct? It is correct. So, as I mentioned, Marjorie invited me to be part of um, this um, co-authorship. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to write a book? English is not even my first language. And again, what did I say before? Get informed, get trained, get involved, tune up on your skills. Uh, if you see the first page that I wrote compared to the last one, I'm so happy to have a brain because that helped a lot. So I really had to learn. And, and that's one of the most, that has been one of the most humbling experiences for me because I needed to reach out. I needed to learn uh, from others and I needed to also, you know, follow my face and, and hear, okay, this needs improvement. Just not to say, mm, it's not really good. It was a very um, intense process. So um, we were five authors and each one was the leading author of one chapter. We worked very uh, collaboratively because we, every single chapter and everything that went into the textbook was actually discussed and agreed upon by all of us. Hence the term snowballs. Because there were times where each one brought a different perspective to something. And it was a, such a rewarding conversation because. What's the, what's, what's the foundation? What, what are we basing upon um, in order to say, this is what we should do, this is what we should propose? Because again, if you look even at the history of the community interpreter, that was the sixth edition. It was the sixth edition in, uh, uh, in the span of a little bit over a decade. So that tells you how much the profession is evolving, how fast the profession is evolving, right? And on one side, we need to keep abreast. We keep up with it. And on the other side, we need to be a little bit ahead as well because we are nowadays interpreting in many more fields than we were 15 years ago. We are present in many more fields than when we were before. Absolutely. Um, so. My chapter completely changed the focus from the very beginning to the very end. I think that the biggest contribution that I brought to the textbook was one side, I was fully supporting Catherine in the idea that we could teach skills even in a 40-hour training. So that part of the textbook completely changed. It evolved exponentially. But in the back of my mind, remember what I said before, I heard someone that was speaking my same language. And I have a very uneasy sometimes uh, role because I am a trainer at heart. I am an interpreter at heart, but I am also the CEO of a language company. And I always walk a very fine line where people don't know what to see in me. Oh, you are a language company. And unfortunately, there is a lot of uh, misspeaking about language companies out there. That is the topic for the next textbook. <laughs> right. But, but it's actually, say, yeah, it's actually very important that you, it you is. mention that because one of the questions that I have for you is what do people often get wrong about language companies? Um, and I think it's, it, even if we don't get fully into it. But perhaps touching on what people often get wrong about language companies. 
Yes, let, let me then tie the two topics together. So the focus of my chapter completely changed because while we were writing the chapter, uh, my company suffered a huge loss in terms of uh, revenue. We lost a huge contract. That caused for me, you know, when you have a sort of experience that you go out of body, everything that that caused in uh, our local environment for that event and other things that were happening as well, I was able to see so much going on. The pain for what happened was so huge that I finally found the words to create a writing on professional identity. This is what it comes out of. It comes out of an innate feeling for the need of giving the profession something that we should all look to. However, the trigger, the push to finally sit down and having the ability to verbalize it came out of the pain. And it's a little bit when you go through contractions and you have a baby, in retrospective, you feel like, you know, that pain produced for me something beautiful because I have inspired people like you. Absolutely. Yes, you have. So for me, oh my God, that's in itself makes my day, you know, because going back to the to the agencies, right? To, to the language service companies. This is the technical term, LSP. Um, I have a message for you all interpreters out there. There is no language service company that is going to ever be strong with no interpreters. Mm. But at the same time, if you are that type of interpreter that looks at getting trained, getting for, and getting involved, you have the obligation to choose what language service company you want to associate yourself with. So I hear a lot in the field, you know, whining, sorry, I should say complaining about <laughs> XYZ, one, two, three, ABC people. The strength of a language company is the independent contractors and employees that work for them, including mine. Um, each one of us may not be a good fit for everybody, all of you out there, but there are good fits. And there are companies, language service companies, that do work very hard at filling the gap of language access, at filling the gap of services. They really want to go to bed at night thinking that we have done the right thing. We will never be able to please everybody and anybody. But my first question to interpreters is, okay, what you got? Oh, I speak X, Y, Z. And? Well, I've been working in this field for so many years. And? And I want to be paid so much. That's it? Well, as a language service company, let me tell you that if I go to a client for an RFP, and for those that don't know what that means, it's a request for proposal, which means basically is the bidding process for a contract. And I say, um, my interpreters speak these languages, and uh, they wanna, we want to be paid so much, and uh, that's what we got. They're going to say, thank you. Next. Right. So part of building that professional identity is thinking that we language service companies are your client and you interpreter owe the respect, professional respect to the language service company as we language service company owe to our ultimate client that is the one that pays to start with. In other words, we are in it with the same challenges. Okay. The fact is that we uphold the two higher standards because if we do not provide a certain requirements, if we do not fulfill certain requirements, we're not going to have the contract. We're not going to have the work. Yet, in the interpreting profession around the country, for some places, and I'm trying to be as general as possible and very respectful, and uh, if you're hurt by what I'm saying, I apologize. But if we want to be respected as professionals, we need to behave as a professional. Absolutely. So the, the requirements for interpreting around the country is very different. It, it changes from company to company, entity to entity, school from school. I mean, it, it, it's, it's very diverse at any level. Uh, sometimes a resume is enough. Sometimes they don't even check on a language proficiency test to see, do you really speak the language um, well enough to be able to convey the message? We ask for vaccinations. We ask for um, insurances and oh, it's too much money. Um, the training costs too much. We're all adults 
and we all make our choices. In this industry, we are all still making a lot of compromises, me included. But do I want to move that compromise forward to a better standard, a better regulation, or even a minimum regulation? Yes, I do. But we are in it all together. We need you as much as you need us. And I'm not even talking about work. We're talking about working together, accomplishing something that ultimately have us be recognized in front of everybody. And again, for those out there that still love trashing language service companies, um, be my guest. Um, Keep doing it. But um, until you walk those shoes, you have no say in it. And um, there is good and bad in every single profession. There is the good lawyer and the bad lawyer. There is the good doctor and the bad doctor. There is the good and bad in everything. But trashing language service companies, it seems to be the hobby for some people out there. And that's not fair. Yolanda, what would you say has been your biggest career challenge? And if you recall, what, what do you feel it taught you? Hmm. Oh, that goes into a very personal answer. The biggest hurdle was um, overcoming that big loss. That loss could have shut us down. But Mireya, the people that I had around, they have clamped together to move forward with Chesco was unbelievable. Some still stay with us. Some in the years since have moved to other types of careers. But I cannot thank enough the staff that I had at the time to pull together and to even to offer to reduce their salaries to make it work. Wow. It never happened. Um, Chesco had very quick ways to turn things around and uh, diversify. And I think that that was also thanks to the uh, trust that we had in the community, both on the client side and the uh, interpreting community side. Um, On a personal level, I felt so crushed because so many people depended on us. And I guess that what helped me and has helped me since is that I, number one, believe in miracles. And number two, I believe that God is behind every miracle in my life. So, you know, I read recently that fear is the biggest element that crushes people because it freezes us. It doesn't allow us to act. And was I fearful? Yeah, I had so many people depending. This is also the the other part of a language service company. If you are a small business per se, and you are the owner or you are family owned and you are ethical, you feel the pain for not being able to provide. And for me, that was the number one thing. I need to take care of my people. This is what I worked for. I needed to take care of my people and talk about and protect Chesco's reputation. Because despite all what could have happened, there was one thing that was never questioned. It was our reputation. So to those out there, they go through hurdles. And sometimes they look at me as, oh, she's the CEO of the company. Oh, she does this and she does that. There is nothing that we do that doesn't have a cost. Mm-hmm. There is pain. Even the nights that I spend to read and learn stuff, to share, or to become better, or to provide a different answer to, I mean, do you think what has happened during this COVID? Um, We at Chesco started having calls and video calls with our interpreters to train them within a week from that closure. Things are now settled in a little bit, um, but I had to learn myself before I could teach others. You know, as a trainer, I was already working on some things, but COVID changed it all on us. Mm-hmm. To say the least. It, it, pushed, it pushed us out a completely, it pushed in a completely different comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've talked about um, basically everything that I do enjoy hearing about. And I know that our listeners as well, because they bring it up, which is, you know, um, how we overcome those challenges that we encounter, those professional challenges, particularly, um, you know, who do we depend on? What do we look for? And um, we've talked about in in the podcast about fear and overcoming limiting beliefs. And, you know, you've touched on every single one of those points. And I know personally, with regard 
regards to the sense of community and being able to reach out to those that have already walked that road and are more than willing to share the experiences and the knowledge that with you personally, I know that I was the you in that conference, uh, you know, in the audience, um, listening to you speak and feeling like, you know, I, I, I think she's speaking directly to me, even though she's looking at everyone else in the room, because I just felt this connection with the message that you were sharing and uh, the endeavors that I was feeling like I was going at alone. And I definitely have always appreciated the information that you've shared, um, the information that you give out. And I think it is absolutely up to us if what we're looking for as community interpreters is to professionalize the role that we play out in the community, in these agencies, in these uh, social services departments, then we absolutely need to do the training. We need to get involved, like you said, and we need to reach out and be able to connect with our community of interpreters, which is something that in the last few months, I want to say I've finally, I'm actually doing. It's not something that that comes naturally to me, and we tend to work in isolation. I don't know why, <laughs> as language professionals, for the most part, we tend to work in isolation. And it has been an incredible feeling just to see how many people are willing to help you out the moment that you ask for it, right? Particularly in our community. And so I am not one bit surprised to hear that the people that work with your company are offering you know, assistance, such as being willing to reduce their salaries to help you and the company flourish. And if you flourish, they flourish. And because you've invested so much in creating a company that people are proud of, you see that type of reciprocity, if you will. You see, people don't follow companies, people follow people. And when you help lift others up, particularly your, what I refer to as brand ambassadors, no doubt they too will help build you up. So I'd like to get into, Giovanna, what you would recommend to anyone that is uh, wishing to work with an interpreting agency or perhaps even uh, find out a little bit more about the community interpreting side, because again, it's not necessarily something that is brand new, but it is definitely something that is not as seasoned as in other areas of the interpreting field, correct? It is correct. You're right. You're right. Um, you know, we, we really talk a lot of medical interpreting, for example, right? Medical interpreting is in itself a subspecialization of uh, community interpreting. Medical interpreting has uh, propelled to the top uh, because of the effort of that community of interpreters to create right. a certification. Uh, but if you look at it, um, Catherine gave a presentation um, several weeks back on um, maybe there, there is no confirmed data. But we can argue that there are even more interpreters in educational fields than uh, even medical. Uh, think of uh, how many schools you have in a neighborhood versus hospitals or clinics, right, that use interpreting services. Uh, but to go back to, to your question about, you know, knowing more about all of this and working with language service companies, I would say across the board. You need to prepare yourself as a professional first. Only when you know what this is about, then you are able to say and assess and make your judgment call on whether or not a language service company has asked you or not for the right things. But again, that does not go back to what you think. That goes back to what is rightful to ask. You know, for a language company, to ask about a background check or vaccination record is a rightful question, is a rightful requirement because they require of us. Um, think of all the schools and think of what that background check means. We interpreters get exposed to family and minors. 
they want assurance that we language companies send the right person mm-hmm. or the other way around that we do not send the wrong person, right? And, and so that's a screening that we have to do. But it starts with you. I, the interpreter, cannot rely on anybody else to tell me how the interpreting job should be done. What are my rights as an independent contractor or my obligations as an independent contractor? Being required an invoice is not bad. Being required to sign a contract is not bad. Being required to provide a resume is not bad. But you see, from this window, I can see those that fuss even if they have to provide a resume. Oh, I have so much experience. I'm, I'm all over internet. I need to provide a resume if I go to present and some clients ask me. And for me to say, oh my God, really? Mm-hmm. You look, at, look up in my LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. This is not the right thing to do for me. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't reflect professionally on me because the reason why in the so many years and staff that has worked with Chesco, the reason why I think our staff has always been very dedicated is because they see that I work around the clock in first. And it's not because I ask anybody to work around the clock, but because they see that I commit. So I cannot say no to things that become a requirement for me. The moment you know what you are required to do as a professional, that's when you understand what you need to make sure that you receive as well. If I am asked to keynote, to present, to, and, and they ask me for my honorarium, they're going to ask me, what do you provide for it? What justifies this? And so you have seen, you know, there are clients that I had to put together every single presentation that I presented. And Mireya, I don't like doing these things. But guess what? It's my obligation to do so if I am requested. And so I would say to everybody, let's start or let's continue, walk the walk to talk the talk. Mind you, we can make mistakes and we can act in a way that we don't see what we did. And that's okay because that's when the community of interpreters come in. That's when the peer support comes in. I've been called by my peers and my mentors and say, you could have done this differently. And sometimes I agree. Rarely I have disagreed because they gave me the gift to see things in a different light. And if I don't do that, I would be walking like a horse with the eye covers, whatever, in the darkness. Mm. And I don't want to do that. I want to see who is around me. And if I do something wrong, I accept gentle nudges that tell me you could have done this differently. Yeah. And that, I and think so, that takes such a big person to be able to say, you know, you've mentioned it in the past or, or earlier rather, um, you know, it can't be I, 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 right? It cannot. And so if you're going to reach out to other people for assistance to help you come up, then when those, that same community that you reached out is coming to you and say, hey, you know, a gentle nudge, just like you said it, um, you could have done something a little bit differently with, you know, with this particular approach. You have to be open to that as well and know that just like you went to them for this advice initially or for help initially, that that's exactly what they're wanting to do is continue to help you to grow. Right. Useless to have a mentor or peer support group if you're not willing to, have, to, to, to listen Absolutely. and to hear I completely believe that 100%. Giovanna, before our recorded session began, we were talking a little bit about how Chesco Language Services has transitioned its training platform into an online platform. um, And that's brought in and of itself its own particular challenges. So um, would you say that this is something that you foresee your company to continue in the future post-COVID, which like many of us are hoping is sometime soon? Or do you think that you'll have a, a maybe a hybrid or a combination? What are you thinking? What is your next what is your next projected plan for your training? 
this is the big question for every single field at the moment, right? Are we going to have our meetings on Zoom or we're going to meet at the office? Are we going to have the interpreter traveling on site or they're going to be in a digital booth? Every um, decision regarding these points will have their own challenges. I am a people person. So as long as I can be in the same place with the people I meet, I train, I have snowballs with, that will always be my preference. So now, today, the main reason why I would be giving the preference to the online is for health reasons. This is for me the biggest priority as of today. But once this is hopefully going back to manageable, I would still tend to uh, favor an in-person because interpreting is personal. And by personal doesn't, I don't mean you take it personal. Personally means it's person to person. Um, Online requires many more skills to manage Mm -hmm. than an on-site interpreting at any level, any level. You know, for the providers out there, they may hear, listen to this podcast. Please keep in mind that for us, the interpreter, to see a black screen where people have an hybrid of video and phone, it's already a disruptor. What is this person feeling, expressing? I mean, we don't know. As a trainer, you must be on video because how do I interact with you, right? I think that I am now favoring the online. As things go to normal, whatever that word is going to mean, um, I would have more and more opportunities for a hybrid or preferences. If I had to choose, I like to show up and hug and cry and laugh with everybody that is in the room with me. And uh, I'm one of these cheesy people that cries for everything. So <laughs> I like I, I like share feelings with, with people. And, you know, training is one of these opportunities where you can. You don't have to be impartial in training. So you need to learn how to be partial, how to prepare to be partial. But if you get it out during the trainings, then you have better way to control yourself and your biases and your feelings and anything else. So now it's aligned. I see a huge combination of hybrid or preferences dictated from by cost as well, because mm-hmm. there is another, and, and another factor is a lot of businesses have been hurt. Right. So unfortunately, there is a lot of uh, run to saving, saving, saving. Understandable on one side, right? Right. But I hope that we are going to save on uh, what is external, like, okay, can we do the video and we avoid the travel time, but not on the service itself? Because as interpreters, like I said, the online requires many more skills to manage. If your power goes out, what is your uh, backup plan? Do you have good enough equipment? Do you need a second monitor? How do you juggle if uh, things go off one screen and you have to put them on the other screen? I mean, it does require a lot more learning. And we are a real profession. We want to be acknowledged as real professionals. And we want to deliver professional services. So... Beautifully said. Giovanna, never in my wildest dreams from um, sitting as one of your participants in your breakout session a few years ago, did I ever think that I was going to have a platform the way I, I have it now and that the person that I felt created her presentation just for me, of course, I know you didn't, but it certainly <laughs> felt like it, you did that I would have the opportunity to sit and and talk a little bit further with regards to your passions, to your challenges, to your recommendations for the community of interpreters that want to come together and professionalize as well. I am beyond grateful for the opportunity. I I'm ecstatic at the fact that someone that I consider, someone that I look up to is sitting 
quote unquote in the same room, although I know we're not, but <laughs> um, <laughs> with me and that you've allowed me this opportunity. And I'm ecstatic to be able to share the opportunity with others as well. So I want to just say thank you once again for having accepted the invitation and more importantly for your commitment to the profession and for being willing to go out into the community and share your expertise and share your knowledge. Because like me, I'm sure there are many out there that perhaps feel are alone. And when they show up to a conference thinking, you know, well, hopefully I get something out of it. I think that's always our expectation. And they sit down and they hear Giovanna give and deliver her message and it connects and it reinforces everything you've been trying to do on your own. I think it's just a, it's a feeling beyond belief really to be able to say here is someone that's already done it all and is saying, basically saying you're on the right track. So thank you so very much, Giovanna. I want to um, make sure that everyone knows how to find out more about Giovanna Contreras and Chesco Language Services. So please share with us where our listeners can find out more about you. Everywhere on the web, I guess you have my information. So feel free to reach out to me. And um, Mireya, if you allow me, I, I have off the record shared with you how you made me feel about this podcast. But this is the, the last words that I would like to close with. Um, in our profession, we give voice to those that cannot be heard. And with you making your dream come true through this podcast, you have given the possibility to the anonymous interpreter that is actually changing lives daily. And you are giving a voice to each one of us to share a story. Friends, this is powerful. If each one of us can move an inch, all of us can go miles together. So I hope that all those that listen to this podcast can contribute to flying together as a flock rather than being the ego they want to majestically oversee everybody else. This is a profession. We are in it. For it, let's get involved, informed, trained, and fly together. I love it. Beautifully said. Thank you so very much, Joanna. I appreciate you and your time and your message. Thank you. And I appreciate you. You know, oftentimes we make a choice on which direction we're going to take professionally. We encounter moments in which we wonder, I wish I knew someone that could help guide me. For fear of rejection or perhaps lack of knowing where to begin, we go down the solo path, right? When I heard Giovanna for the first time speak, it was at a professional development conference. And get this, it was my first professional development conference that I went to voluntarily. In other words, it wasn't a training that was a requirement or I was doing it for continued education units. This was me wanting to attend this particular conference. She spoke about the exact things I was being challenged with. She spoke truth, hard truth. Her mere presence attracted respect as she would pause when there was disrespectful chit-chatter in the back of the room. And you know how sometimes there's just there's just energy that's right. There's just the synergy. And for whatever reason, one thing or another, whether it was her message or whether it was just um, the way in which she presented or maybe the combination of both, her message and her style just resonated with me. And never would I have imagined that one day I would have the opportunity to kind of sit down and just really talk to her one-on-one. -on -one. Matter of fact, I never thought or imagined that that would be the case for many of the incredible women that I've had the opportunity to interview on this podcast. It's true. Unless we put ourselves out there, unless we do the things that seem like they'll suck up our time away from our Netflix marathons, Unless we do the things that we know can only make us better, we are not going to get better. Improvement is intentional. 
I once heard someone say, I have never heard anyone say, damn, I should have never worked out. But I have infinitely heard, damn, I shouldn't have eaten that. Right or not? So whether it's through a course, a book, a conference, a podcast, you will improve. Something will resonate with you one day and it'll click. Get out there. Keep learning. Keep improving. Pause and evaluate. And one day you'll look back and you're going to appreciate yourself for not giving up. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Please remember to leave a review or forward this episode to someone that you think may also enjoy it. In the spirit of giving, share away. Take care. Till next time. And remember, tell your story. Brand the Interpreter. Bye-bye. Are you still there? Oh, good. You know, I wanted to share with you that the Brand the Interpreter podcast was created as a way to help brand the role of the interpreter in a different platform. Aside from being a trained interpreter in the K-12 school setting, I work with others in creating or developing a personal brand or branding within an organization. If you're interested in learning more, please visit my website at www.brandtheinterpreter.com or send me an email at hello at brandtheinterpreter.com. Thank you.